This is Ana Carmo with UN News. If you like political cartoons, chances are that you've come across the work of Patrick Chapat in leading international newspapers and journals. In addition to his prolific output, Mr. Chapat is also president of the Freedom Cartoonists Foundation. To coincide with World Press Freedom Day 2022 on May 3rd, it's unveiled a new exhibition in Geneva, featuring drawings by other top illustrators who take great risks to stand up to authority. Here he is now explaining to UNUS's Daniel Johnson how the challenges to a free press seem to be proliferating and why it's so important to push back against those who would stifle free speech. How I choose uh, what I want to draw in my cartoons, actually, over the last, I would say, month or years, I haven't had much of a choice. <laughs> the news has imposed itself, and what is uh, pretty special and particular is that a single news has imposed itself. First, it was COVID. For almost two years, we cartoonists have been churning out cartoons about COVID and in all its aspects, be it economical, of course, health question, uh, societal, everything. It was the news. And then we are being totally engulfed. Uh, we have been engulfed for the last weeks by the Ukraine conflict. And that's taking all the place. And who knows what will be next? So from time to time, I find a way to squeeze in a cartoon, as you can imagine, on Elon Musk buying Twitter and other more, shall I say, uh, relaxing news. I don't know, but it's a very intense period of time. What's your message then for World Press Freedom Day on Tuesday, May the 3rd? We thought with uh, the Freedom Cartoonist Foundation that I'm leading now in Geneva, formerly it was the Swiss Foundation Cartooning for Peace. Cartooning for Peace is a network of more than 200 cartoonists worldwide, still based in Paris. But our foundation in Geneva, which has been bestowing an award since 2012, an international award to salute cartoonists, not only for their talent, but for their courage. We thought it would be very important to mark this World Press Freedom Day, taking cartoons as something symbolic, a symbol of a free press. Uh, you know, cartoons, political cartoons, were born with the fight for a free press. Uh, you can think of, of that particular story in France that, I, that is closer to, to us in Geneva. In the 19th century, the very courageous fight for newspapers to exist and free voices to exist was accompanied by political cartoons, which brought some of the cartoonists in jail. And we can think of Daumier, the godfather of cartoonists, and his editor, Philippon, taking on the king. So in that memory, We wanted to mark World Press Freedom Day, not only to salute cartoonists, but to salute journalists. Journalists who have been uh, paying a huge toll, if you think of the Ukraine war right now, the number of journalists who have been killed or wounded. Journalists who are at the forefront of a global fight for democracy through the fight against fake news. And I think that real information and real journalism is more important today more important than ever. That's why we wanted to pay tribute, not only to political cartooning, but to journalism and a free press. So maybe we could just dig a little bit deeper into the Freedom Cartoonist Foundation Awards this year. What's the representation from across the globe that you're putting on display in Geneva at the moment? So we've been giving this award since 2012. It's a biennial award every two years. We had winners from Iran, the young generation of Iranian cartoonists, half in exile, half still in Tehran. 
We had winners from Palestine, Egypt. We had anti-corruption cartoonists who won in Malaysia and in Kenya. And four years ago, because again, COVID happened two years ago and we were not able to give the award. Four years ago, we gave our award to Muzakart of Turkey, a man who was in jail. He was not able to come to Geneva to receive his award. His wife has to come in his place. He was jailed for what? For doing cartoons in Turkey's Erdogan. That's the reality on the ground today for some cartoonists. So it's a big moment for us. It had been four years since the last award. So we wanted to make it really a very powerful and strong moment. We were pleased to announce that the award will now be named the Kofi Annan Courage in Cartooning Award. And that's with the Kofi Annan Foundation's blessing and in memory of Kofi Annan, who was, and that's not well known, not only a Nobel Peace Laureate, not only the, the former, of course, UN Secretary General, but he was a, a big fan and defensor of political cartoons. I was going to ask you about that. Why do you think Kofi Annan was so keen on cartoons? Because they can be so undiplomatic and mm-hmm. dangerous. <laughs> cartoons are such an easy target. Why is that, do you think? Uh, you could imagine maybe for wrong reasons in the sense that politicians like to see themselves represented, especially in cartoons, even if it's, you know, the, the slogan, bad publicity is still publicity and being in a cartoon is seen as a badge of honor, if, even if it's a tough cartoon. But that's not knowing Kofi Annan. I know he was a big proponent of the arts and of political cartoons. And to give you an example, because he was, you know, a very discreet person, Kofi, when Muzakart was not able to come to Geneva to receive his award, I know that Kofi Annan shared with us that he had personally written to Erdogan, to the president of Turkey, to plead the cause of Muzakart. So you can see that his involvement, it was not just symbolic, it was a real involvement because I think he believed very strongly in the power of cartoons and in the importance of critical voices and of a free press. That is the conviction I got with my dealings with him. And that's why we thought it would be a good idea to have his name representing this award. Thank you for that. And of course, he's well known for his wonderful smile and sense of humour. So that's perhaps also where the cartoons come in. Nonetheless, there are huge concerns around the world, not only Ukraine. There are so many crises, forgotten crises from Syria to the Central African Republic, Yemen, could go on. 29 journalists have also been killed so far this year from Haiti to Myanmar, Mexico, Pakistan, Ukraine and beyond. Is it worth the risk to keep putting people's lives in danger? Oh my, is it worth the risk to defend democracy and to defend freedom? Of course, people will answer people on the ground. I'm I'm talking on behalf of of journalists, of Uh, Not only journalists going to dangerous places, but journalists here in newsrooms doing the very important work of investigative journalism. And I'm talking also of political cartoonists who are often described as the canary in the coal mine. You know, when the canary dies, it means that there is danger in the air. And when the people in power target cartoonists, very often it's a barometer of freedom in a society. And it's very often the cartoonist who gets targeted first. And if you look at the laureates of our prize this year, I think they both uh, really symbolize those uh, dangers to democracy and to peace that we are facing today. One of them is Gabor Papai, 
from uh, Hungary. And that is a country at the heart of the European Union where uh, civil liberties and freedom of the press are being more and more squeezed. And he has been targeted personally for his cartoons. And then you have uh, Vladimir Kazanevsky, a beautiful, wonderful cartoonist from Ukraine who had to flee his country under bombs and under attack and is now in Slovakia, still doing the important work of uh, denouncing the aggression and caricaturing Putin, Putin, the aggressor, showing that the king is naked. Putin is naked in Vladimir's cartoons. Thank you very much, Mr. Shapat. Last question to you. A while ago, three years ago now, the New York Times decided to stop printing political cartoons. And you were you used to work for the New York Times. And then you said that there was this fear of these moralistic mobs who have the upper hand online. I mean, it's still the case, isn't it? You said that these moralistic mobs is, really are organised in the way that they work. And so what would the answer be? How do you push back against those who would curtail press freedom? Well, that is another huge threat to liberties and to, and to democracy, frankly. It's not only the threat from the outside. It's not only the threats from the autocrats. It is the threat from the total change we have seen in the world of the media, where social media and social platforms have taken, frankly, the place of the traditional media. And those are places where you don't know, uh, you don't identify the voices. Those are very powerful tools that are being used by pressure groups. And you are now able to really launch a real campaign of disinformation and attacks on people, on institutions, on cartoonists in some cases, without knowing from where the attack comes and without really understanding the scope of it. And people join the crowd. It's the satisfaction of the instant click to feel that you are on the right side of a debate without any debate taking place, actually. So I think we have a real danger. And we had two very important figures joining us on May 3, the two Nobel Peace laureates, Maria Ressa from the Philippines and Dmitry Muratov of Russia. Those guys are heroes. It's the first time since 80 years that journalists have been recognized with the Nobel Prize. And I'm thinking about Maria Ressa's very important work, specifically against fake news, disinformation, and the toxic power of social media. I think that's one of the big challenges we are all facing as a society, not only journalists, but our societies. The democratic societies are threaten from the inside if we don't take some measures to just harness and make those platforms just honest. 